0: I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is a bonus episode of News De Jour. Today, we are going to tell the stories of those lost and harmed in Iran through a second-hand source. These stories are vital to relay, but by nature, impossible to verify. So with that, I have to issue a disclaimer here at the top. The views and opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of sugar-free media or news du jour podcast. This episode contains content such as violence and graphic descriptions that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. A statement from Amnesty International about the country of Iran, which they have researched extensively, reads, quote, Thousands of people were interrogated, unfairly prosecuted, and or arbitrarily detained solely for peacefully exercising their human rights, and hundreds remain unjustly imprisoned. Security forces unlawfully used lethal force and birdshot to crush protests. Women, LGBTI people, and ethnic and religious minorities faced entrenched discrimination and violence. Legislative developments further undermined sexual and reproductive rights, the right to freedom of religion and belief, as well as access to the Internet. Torture and other ill treatment, including denying prisoners adequate medical care, remained widespread and systematic. Judicial punishments of floggings, amputations, and blinding were imposed. The death penalty was used widely, including as a weapon of repression. Executions were carried out after unfair trials systemic impunity prevailed for past and ongoing crimes against humanity related to prison massacres and other crimes under international law." End quote. Thus, as an international community you guys, we know what goes on in Iran on mass. But today, we're going to hear specific stories from an Iranian woman herself to put names to these senseless acts of cruelty and crimes against humanity, and to further clarify what exactly is going on in Iran. I wanted to give a warm welcome to Elika Laban and express my gratitude that you were willing to sit down and put your name alongside these important stories. And thank you for taking time out of your life to do this work.
1: First off, thank you so much for
0: having me. Of course. First off, tell us a little bit about your personal story and your relationship with the country of Iran
1: so um my parents are both i mean i'm from iran my parents are both from iran um they lived in iran before the revolution so the um islamic revolution happened in 1979 which is how the people of the regime got into power who are still there now um before that my parents lived in iran um during the time of the revolution um They experienced similar things to what is going on now. My mum was in Evin prison. My aunt was in Evin prison um, while she was pregnant. Her husband, my uncle, was executed in Evin prison. Um, They eventually left Iran, came to London. That's where I was born. Um, So obviously I have that history Um, of that experience with my own family and the regime also executed 13 um, of my family members in total. So um, I then moved to the US um, and became a lawyer here. And now I, you know, do the work that I do, which is um, connected to the criminal justice system. And I do advocacy for That, as well as now Iran, um, due to the current
0: revolution
1: that's taking place.
0: I'm so sorry to hear about your family members. I actually did not know that going into this interview. Um, So, you know, my next question was, how did you get into this activism? But it sounds like you were born into it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do online, though? Yes. So it's one of those things where... um, sometimes
1: these these things are really um you really are born with them because of epigenetics you know like uh, especially my cousin for example my aunt's baby who she was pregnant with in prison right like that kind of trauma and stress it's like epigenetically transferred mm-hmm. um so my um i started being doing my advocacy um after i became a lawyer here in the US and i started to build up this platform Um, mainly on TikTok. So I rapidly built up this platform on TikTok doing my advocacy. And then I kind of started transferring it over to Instagram as well. And I use Instagram right now almost exclusively as a platform to talk about um, Iran stuff, particularly because it's not really being discussed much in the media. So I'm trying to like I'm trying to be the
0: news Mm -hmm. for Iran Mm -hmm. right now. Well, you're doing a fantastic job because the stories that we're going to discuss today are not being discussed in the mainstream news. And I want to let everybody know that her Instagram and TikTok pages will be linked in our show notes. So if you guys wanted to check those out, you can see her advocacy work, Um, but she's doing a great job spreading the word. So I wanted to go over a couple terms that we may use really quickly. So IRGC is the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or basically a branch of the Iranian armed forces that has been cracking down on protesters. Um, Also, kangaroo court is just, you know, more of a term meaning like a court that's kind of a joke, if you will. Would you describe it that way? Okay. yes, absolutely. yeah, it just doesn't it's not a real court. You know, they just kind of do mm-hmm. as they please. Um, so with that, can you tell us a little bit about Iran's decision to execute peaceful protesters? We are approximating fourteen thousand of them, right? Yeah.
1: So they have detained upwards of fourteen thousand peaceful protesters. um, you know, people who are just like present at the scene of the protest, not people who are being violent, just protesting. Um, this is something, this is something that they've done so many times throughout their 43 year reign. This is nothing new or surprising, but, um, they, 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 the 227 of their 290 seat parliament recently, um, voted to execute all of the prisoners that have been arrested for peacefully protesting. So, as we said, that's like fifteen, fourteen to 15,000 of them now, this is, um, behavior that they've repeated many times in 1988 they did another massacre of iranian protest protesters anywhere between five and thirty thousand of them were executed hanged um because that is their manner of execution um and they've repeated this every time protest it up 2009 when we had the green protests as a um a, a ch- in order to serve a chinning effect over protesters. So people will look on and be like, hey, this is what's going to happen to you if you even dare to go against the regime. Um, So it's used as a fear tactic. And now they have voted again, almost unanimously to do the same thing to these peaceful protesters.
0: So, um... Really, these current protests, you know, I think everyone, if you follow this podcast, you know what kicked them off. Um, But can we talk a little bit about maybe what is like the end goal for the protesters? Mm. You know, what are they trying to achieve here?
1: Yeah, so we basically want to get rid of the regime. So we want to get rid of the people that are in power right now, um, which have created the Islamic Republic of Iran, which is a theocracy, which should not be tolerated anywhere not just Iran anywhere, um, and we want to go to we want to revert to a democratic state. So back to Iran, um, not the Islamic Republic, none of these mullahs would be in power and we would have a democ- democratically elected
0: leader. Um, that's that's the goal of the revolution. Perfect. And then in terms of Evan Prison, so we talked on our podcast about the fire that broke out at Evan Prison. So, you know, I've touched on it and I know that it's, you know, a notorious prison, you know, something akin to like Rikers or Sing Sing here, where we just, we've heard of this prison as being particularly bad. But can you shed some mm. light on what goes on at Evan Prison?
1: The stuff that goes on at Evan Prison is like, unheard of i mean it's horrific you are um tortured um you have you can have your uh limbs broken your teeth pulled your fingers pulled off um whipped um uh, cut body parts removed um sexually assaulted raped and obviously in the final instance executed they can you know deny basic things for your, you know, survival, um, the conditions, sometimes my, my aunt said that in the room that she was in, it was like, a, like 100 people in a small room, there's not even a space to sit down, like extremely cramped conditions, like very unsanitary, um, and just vulgar, you know, human rights abuses going on in there. And obviously, you have no right to you have no right to an attorney. I mean, half the time that if you if you have an attorney representing you the attorney is jailed too so you know it's like it massively disincentivizes people from even representing the people that need representation because you're not you don't have the right to an attorney you don't have you don't even have the right to a fair trial Mm -hmm. the judge um the judge on your trial acts as both the judge and the prosecutor they obviously don't have standards like beyond reasonable doubt they just without evidence decide that you're guilty you don't have representation and then that's it you're sent you're sent to um death by
0: hanging That is awful. And, you know, we we do touch on the court system there a little bit on our podcast as well. So um, listeners probably are familiar with that as well, just that you don't stand a chance of having any sort of real trial. Um, So without further ado, let's jump into some of the stories that we wanted to talk about. So there is a 22 year old girl named Elmira. Can you tell us a little bit about her story?
1: Oh, Elmira Hosseini, Yeah, So she is somebody who was not even a protester. So this is the thing. You don't have to be actively protesting to get in trouble with the regime. Just any indication that you're against the regime regime can get you imprisoned and executed. So she was handing out chocolates um, on the side of the road. And with the chocolates, there was a note that said, Zanzendegi Azadi, which we know now, the international community knows, means woman, life, freedom. It wasn't even material against the regime. It literally just said, woman, life, freedom. But that's enough to implicate you. So she was arrested. um, And then they told her mother that if she provided her birth certificate, Elmira's birth certificate, they would let her go. And she did provide her birth certificate. But of course, they didn't let her go because they were never going to keep their word. Um, And we have no updates on her ever since then.
0: Okay, and then we had a couple of rappers that we wanted to touch on their stories. So there is one rapper
1: called Tumaj, um, who's a very well-known well, well known Iranian rapper, and there's another Kurdish rapper called um, Salman Seydi or Salman Yasin, and both of them have been arrested. Um, both of them, Salman Sayyidi has already been given the death sentence and the death penalty, and that is literally just because of making music, that has any indication of, you know, um, talking about the conditions in Iran, um, the, you know, the other other prisoners, um, the regime, anything about the state of Iran. So they've been sentenced to death. Um, Tumaj has not yet received his sentence. He hasn't been tried yet. Uh, but we anticipate the same thing. And uh, they are their crimes are a war against God because the regime sees itself it sees the government in its collective capacity as a god so anyone who goes against the regime they are convicted of going against god and that is a crime that is punishable by death
0: wow and i think hand in hand with that is some lgbtq stories in particular. So um, there are
1: two women that we know that are on death row right now, Elham Chubdar and uh, Zahra um, Sedighi Hamadani, both LGBTQ women. Um, both were arrested just because of their LGBTQ status, because homosexuality is a crime, again, that is punishable by death under Sharia law. That is not just in Iran, that is across the board with Sharia law. Also, the case in Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are on death row right now for being LGBTQ persons as well.
0: And then uh, Neil Ofar Hamadi,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and she was together with elahe Yes,
1: yeah, Mohamadi. <clears throat> so um, these two are the journalists that broke the news about Massa Amini's death. Um, So journalism, obviously, there's no freedom of speech in Iran, and journalism is tied to that democratic function of government accountability and free speech. So that is also a crime in Iran, um, because it's going against their God, them, them. They are the God, right? Mm -hmm. So they were arrested for... Um, War on God, same thing for breaking the news of Massa Amini because the regime has a different story that they put out about Massa, which is that she died of a heart problem, not that she was beaten by the um, Basiji, which are the morality pol- police in Iran um, and we also anticipate them to receive death sentences
0: And then Amrita Abasi, 20 years old So, yeah um, Armita Abbasi, 20 years old, she um,
1: went missing during one of the protests, which is a common theme of women who go out and protest in Iran. It's the same thing that happened to Nikos Shakarami. And then a while later, um, they're either discovered in a morgue or in a hospital. So Armita showed up at a hospital and the hospital staff discovered that she'd been ar- arrested eight days earlier at the protest. They Found that there was obvious signs of violent rape and sexual assault. The Basiji morality police told the uh, hospital staff that they have to say in their report that the rape occurred pre-arrest, that she had already been raped by the time of her arrest, but they refused to. Um, and then. They said that the. they also told the hospital staff and the family that they have to, if they ever want to see, they told her family that if they ever want to see Armita again, they have to release this story that she had some problem with diarrhea and that's why she was in the hospital. Obviously, they refused. So Mm -hmm. when her family came to see her in the hospital, the uh, Basiji basically kidnapped her half-conscious body and... Nobody knows where she is now. By the time her family got there, her body, her, she was
0: gone. Wow. And I i would imagine there's a lot of missing young women and people in general right now. Um, and so these stories are really representative of just a larger trend. And that's why we're shedding light on them right now. Um, talk yeah. to me about the journalist. And, oh, go ahead. What were yes. you going to say? Oh, um, well, I was going to say that um,
1: what's problematic about this whole thing is that um we only the story the stories that we know we only know them because somehow the news got to us okay and this is considering that there's no internet in iran i mean if you try to send a message if i try to speak with my family in iran on whatsapp it's just one tick there's it doesn't even get delivered right so the information that we get it's like we don't It's like one story of literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of girls that are missing. So it's like, it sounds like, oh my gosh, eight people are in trouble, but it's like there's thousands of them and this is all all we know, you know?
0: Yeah, I wanted to touch on the internet being turned off because I think that's a huge reason why we're not hearing more about this Mm -hmm. and seeing more about this. Like We feel like we're seeing a lot, but it would be just such a huge wave if the internet were turned on there, don't you think?
1: Well, that's that's exactly why they switch it off because, you know, if you think about the way that a democracy works, a government doesn't have control over those faculties, right? Like here in the US, you couldn't just turn off the internet because the internet is a private provider that is right. not affiliated with the government. But when you look at the way that Iran and theocracies work, the government controls everything. So the government is the internet, the government is everything. So the way that they keep a hold of their power in this way, the way that they prevent their, you know, power from being usurped is that they take all means necessary to uh, hide what they're doing. And one way that they do that is by shutting off the internet because the internet is Iran's access to the outside world. And the more these, we see it, we see it because the more these stories are released, the more that people pay attention and they're like, what is going on in Iran? that's not possible when the internet shut off. So they shut the internet off with the goal of, you know, containing the violence and containing what they're doing and being able to continue doing what they're doing. But unfortunately for them, there are some very, very clever people in Iran and they know how to do the VPNs and the hacking and find ways to connect. And we find out. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, but I, I did hear that they are now working on entirely shut, shutting off the internet Mm -hmm. and another thing about that is that i mean when you think about how integral the internet is to just like the survival of anything like an economy which is also a problem right i mean think about how much we do with the internet like we send work emails you know calls messages everything that we do is with the internet if we didn't have internet most of us probably couldn't do our jobs realistically Mm -hmm. you know yeah. So that's the condition that they're in as well. They 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 can't even get by on a daily basis because of um, these chokeholds.
0: Yeah. This is all headed towards like a very severe crisis. I mean, we're already there, but it, it's right. it's getting worse and worse by the day um and I you know we're kind of in the middle of a bunch of stories here but I did want to emphasize too the importance of saying names so did you want to kind Mm. of speak on that really quickly of just like you know Mm, the importance of that
1: so um people always ask you know what can we do for Iran it seems so pointless and I it feels that way I feel it too it's really a tough emotion to deal with but There are some things that we you know, as the diaspora have observed over time that seem to do something. One of them is saying their names. Um, So this we learned for maybe the first time in 2020 when there were three young boys in Iran who were sentenced to death because they were protesting over gas prices Mm -hmm. after the sanctions, right? So protesting is a crime punishable by death in Iran as we know by now. again, same thing, war on God. And then the international community actually got a hold of this story. I mean, when I say that, I mean that the news media outlets were talking about it. I remember reading about it in the news, in The Guardian, The Independent, you know, those are British newspapers. And um, after the international media attention, Iran, the Islamic Republic commuted their sentence. So they went from a uh, the death penalty to life in prison and then eventually it was reduced to five years so we know that when the names are known to the international community when people are talking about it when there is an uproar there has been a trend that they don't execute those people because it is going to galvanize and incite more violence and sedition so um Since observing this trend, we have kind of orchestrated these campaigns as the diaspora say their names to save save their lives campaigns. So we ask people to just like share like crazy um, any names that we, you know, get out of Iran and their stories and their pictures in the hopes that if they gain enough international traction, um, that they won't be executed
0: Absolutely. And so we're keen to try and share the names as much as we can. Um, With that said, let's jump into the journalist who was taken mid-interview. Hossein Ronaki, yes. So um, he is uh, an activist
1: um, and he was doing an interview in his home at the time when the IRGC um, came to his home and attempted to kidnap him. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to escape um however, after he escaped, he was told that his friends and family would be harmed if he didn't turn himself into Evan prison. Obviously, these threats are serious; they have the names and addresses of all his friends and family. He's not going to put his you know parents siblings' lives at risk, so he did what he felt like he needed to do. so he turned himself into Evan prison with his lawyer. Both of them were beaten. He was beaten unconscious, so he fainted at the uh, entrance of Evan prison. They then took him into the prison and they broke both of his legs and his finger. And people from inside the prison um, said that they saw him being dragged because he can't walk. He was being dragged from left to right. He was being dragged from the confession room to solitary confinement back to the confession room. And in all cases, he's just, they're always just being beaten and tortured the entire time. And he is denied medical assistance and obviously denied access to a lawyer.
0: So when it comes to Evan prison now, like after the fire, have you heard anything about whether it's operational right now or if everyone's been moved to other prisons? I haven't heard
1: about anyone being moved. So I I very much doubt that they would move anyone because they have no interest in protecting the prisoners. Mm -hmm. So um, ever since the fire, you know, from what we know, there was, you know, a number of deaths, 140 plus deaths. Mm -hmm. And then there was no information after that, there was obviously no accountability. And there was no updates on what happened. So we just assume that the people that were there that survived are just there, you know,
0: and, and that's it. And there's a good chance that, that number of 150 is really underreported. Is that, would you agree with that? I thought I had read that yeah. from Amnesty. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, because you're relying on eyewitnesses when you find, when you're asking like the number of people that were killed, you're, you're relying on people I mean, this number that we got was from uh, um, a percipient witness who said that they saw just like bodies on top of bodies. Mm. And their estimate was like, it looked like more than 150 or whatever his estimate was. Wow. We also don't know the numbers of people that he didn't see. Like there's there's just really no way to know, which is
0: really sad. But um, we know that it's a lot. That's That's as much as we know. So, next, I wanted to kind of touch on the international community and kind of their lack of action and you know, maybe we could touch on what they could be doing um the u n specifically and news outlets rejecting coverage, et cetera.
1: yeah, I mean, this is something that's really confusing in general because these people have an incentive to actually talk about iran. I mean, you this regime the islamic republic has so many enemies one of its biggest enemies is israel right and so i think of you know i know that israel and um you know you can't you can't say that every like jewish community is connected to israel necessarily but i know that certain um media outlets um that have you know jewish editors and journalists you know i would think that they would be wanting to talk about this because they'd be like you know finally someone's exposing this regime that we've been against for so long um, and they're seeing what we've been saying and no one was listening to us right so it's a bit confusing maybe they don't want to be political I'm not sure but it's a bit confusing why so many people are not interested in taking advantage of you know this opportunity to really let rip on the Islamic Republic of Iran. So none of us can really make sense of it. Some people are like, "Oh, well, it's because the US is trying to drum up an oil deal with Iran and it's like, but journalism is not tied to the government. Like the the media doesn't um, you know, go hand in hand with whatever agenda the government has. In fact, yeah. the media is there to criticize yeah. the government. That is literally the purpose of the printing press why mm-hmm. it was established. Mm-hmm. So that to me doesn't sound right either. I have no answers for it. I have no answers for why they don't care. It could just be, it could just go back to the same thing when, you know, the whole Ukraine thing happened and it was like they, you know, it came to light that they were only interested in people who, you know, are white, blonde hair, blue eyes. I don't know. That could be, it could, it could just be like, well, you know what? The Middle East is a mess. It's always been a mess. So we don't care. Mm. I don't have an, an explanation for it
0: wow it's yeah human rights should never be a political thing regardless you know there's just so many human rights violations that to me it doesn't even feel political um and it really is so underreported right now I feel like social media yeah. is way more inundated um when it comes to I know. the story than- and that's what's
1: so crazy about it because that, that's another thing you know it's like I not I get but it's understandable why the media wouldn't report on stuff if they think that people are not interested right like this is not newsworthy no one's going to read it yeah. but the public is literally pouring out support yeah and it's like where can i find information about this where can i read the news and it's like the people are interested so why aren't you the only other thing i can think about is that they don't want to report on something without a reliable source mm-hmm. a, a new source and obviously we know that we can't share information about the sources so that might be another concern they have, but there's ways around that. Like there's disclaimers, yeah. which is what we've discussed, right? Yeah. Like you just you just drop a disclaimer. We don't know for sure the exact source, but this is the information.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, we know these atrocities are happening on, like, a very large scale. So while these particular stories, the the details and the ins and outs of the particulars, we may not know them for sure, but, like, we know disappearances and torture and all these things are happening en masse. Like, it's not just a one, it's not just this handful of people that we've discussed today. It's happening by the hundreds, if not thousands. And, you know, it should be easy enough to speak on a few Situations, Um, right? But
1: I mean, you can at least share the information that the parliament voted to, yeah, you know, execute fifteen thousand protesters. That's not a myth; that's a fact. You can get that information from the Islamic Republic of Iran directly.
0: Exactly. Um, So to circle back around to the UN, though, what could they be doing that they're not?
1: Well, they're supposed to be um, orchestrating a human rights council to a mechanism to investigate um, the human rights violations in Iran. Um, from my understanding, we, the diaspora, have been pushing for that, um, directly urging the UN to um, set up that mechanism for human rights investigations. And the last thing that I heard was that a representative from the Islamic Republic made some phone call or something to the UN and was like, don't do this, you know, was urging them not to do it. Um, It seems like an obvious way to, I guess, like just begin some process of accountability. Yeah. Um, But it it hasn't happened yet. Again, no, no
0: idea why. Wow. And um, for our last question today, I wanted to discuss, like, if you are looking at the best case scenario, like a a Mm -hmm. situation in which the women of Iran win this, what does that Mm -hmm. look like? And what what is a plausible path to that for for the women of Iran? I mean, from my perspective,
1: I don't even think plausible is the word, like it's going to happen. It's just a question of when, you know? Um, So at some point, these people are just going to leave. They're going to get tired because they're not going to be able to control us anymore. Um, And what that looks like to me is that somebody who the people want, somebody who the people love, is going to um, take the reins in Iran, a democratically elected person. And the women of Iran are going to enjoy all the freedoms that they deserve. They're going to enjoy the freedom to show their hair if they choose. They might not choose to do that. Um, they're going to enjoy the freedom to dress however they want. They're going to enjoy the freedom to speak about whatever they want. Um, they're going to be able to use social media platforms. The way you, we use social media platforms, they're gonna be able to do Dances on TikTok, if that's what they feel like doing, they are going to be able to live with the freedom of not having a theocracy and fundamentalist religion um, controlling their every living existence. So that's what the women of Iran can expect. It's just a question of when.
0: A special thanks to Elika Laban and our legal team at Page Hulse Law for making this episode possible. If you want to help out with what's going on in Iran, head to Elika's TikTok or Instagram page. Both are linked in our show notes and click the link in her bio for further instructions signing petitions, resharing to social, and sharing this podcast episode with friends and family is a great way to spread the word and help keep eyes on what the Iranian government is doing to its own people. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron of our podcast. For $7.99 a month, you can unlock tons of perks like breaking news text messages so that you're never out of the loop, tons of bonus episodes are already up there ready for you to binge, and a discussion board full of networking opportunities, and much more. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash sugar media today to become a patron. This is the best way to support our show. Our patrons make News Jour possible. But a couple other ways to support our podcast are rate and review on whatever podcast platform you use to listen, share on your social media, you have influence, tell your friends, family, and colleagues that you love News Jour and why you listen. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram just sugar-free media, all one word on TikTok and sugarfree underscore media on Twitter. We also have a weekend newsletter called Dreamers Digest that's full of dreamy content recommendations for your weekend and a life update from yours truly. Sign up today on our website, www.sugarfreemedia.co. Our music is by Joey Lavoy and Nicholas Foster. Our cover art is by Hannah Pierce Photography. Our sugar-free media logo is by Catherine Jezik Designs. Any twinkling or little footsteps you might hear in the background are by my dog, Rhett. He's a rescue pup and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. broadcasting from...